And we are live, everybody. Welcome to the Money in the Bank Post Show. I'm John Pollock, along with Wei Ting. It's 9.48 p.m. Eastern Time. Wei, I'm going to start things off by just telling you what a fantastic mood I'm in right now. I hope that doesn't change over the course of this show, but this show ending at the time it did, uh, I am just, I, I'm on cloud nine right now. You're on cloud 945 is what you are. I am on cloud 945. Wow. That is, uh, that is a sign of how much I have, uh, I've worn you down uh, to my level. Uh, what, like the time of this event, I cannot stress enough how happy I was that they, there is not one person in the world that is going to call in tonight and say, man, I wish this thing had gone another hour. I wish this had gone longer. This was the perfect length for a pay-per-view, and I have underestimated how much of a difference that made on me. Like I was just like, I, I can't, I can't say anything bad about this because that's how much of a factor this end time was for me tonight way that we are doing this at a normal time. I felt satisfied with what I watched tonight and the length is just a huge part of it tonight. A huge part. It, it definitely is a nice change of pace. I mean, I'm, I'm just really happy that they didn't feel the pressure to drag the thing out to hit, you know, 10 o'clock, like how, what was the total length of this pay-per-view starting from seven o'clock? Oh, two, two and a half. They were off at nine twenty-five, dude. Ooh. So if you awesome. throw out the kickoff, this was two hours and 25 minutes. That's wonderful. I, and I, I, like you said, I don't think anybody will be complaining. I don't think people will be canceling their network subscriptions because they were, uh, uh, they lost that hour. Um, I, I'm happy to understand that. I feel like they are starting to recognize that less is more. They limited it, like, really, of the empty arena matches we got. They dedicated uh, length to one match. They gave Rollins and McIntyre the, the time. The others were reasonable. Mm-hmm. And then you had the big finale at the end. And I thought this was, like, a really well-structured show. And whether the reasoning was just, you know, the the pay-per-view, we don't have to go a certain amount of time. We can go as long as we want. We can go shorter if we have to. And maybe another driving factor is let's not burn people out. We want them all fresh for this Undertaker premiere um, for those that had not watched it earlier in the day when they put it up. I mean, for many people, I think the Taker documentary really is going to be the main event of the evening. Um, John, you already had a chance to watch it. I haven't yet. So we're probably going to be chatting about it tomorrow on Rewind to Raw. Yeah, we'll... Uh, give way the chance to uh, see it. But yeah, I did watch it. It's about 55 minutes. And I think that it's going to get a lot of praise. It's a real, you know, as advertised from people that have seen the trailer, the first look that they put out. And if anyone does want to uh, chat about it tonight, uh, free to talk about it. But the first, the first episode really centers around, you know, a little bit of background on who the undertaker is, but I think going in with the understanding that this audience knows the backstory of the undertaker and then looking at, the WrestleMania streak, building up the big matches, going through you know a very small time dedicated to the Sean matches, the Hunter matches, and then focusing on the streak ending and the subsequent years after that with the major focus heading into the Roman Reigns match in 2017. So that's kind of chapter one. Very cool. Before we uh, get going on our review, John, I wanted to give some shout outs to the people joining us in the chat room right now. Thank you, Andrew, Jackie, Johnny SL, Raymond Terry. Bruavan, Mulaud, Richard Lee, Hanzi, 
and Chris Thunder from Down Under. Thank you guys for joining us, as well as everybody else I didn't get a chance to get to. We're going to get to your phone calls later on in the show after we've done a review. You can Skype in, let us know your thoughts on either the Ticker documentary or Money in the Bank or anything else that's going on. Uh, but for now, maybe John and I should just dive right in. Yes. So the kickoff show featured Scott Stanford and Peter Rosenberg doing the uh, the kickoff show uh, in in Stanford. And just they had this. They did the money in the bank countdown throughout the whole hour. And they did a gimmick where Peter Rosenberg was constantly asking when Alexa Bliss is going to have her moment in the countdown. And it was just constantly you know, they'd go to a moment. It wasn't Alexa Bliss. They finally get to the number one and it's Seth Rollins. And it's like this whole thing. And then Alexa Bliss is never in it. And it's just, uh, I don't know, it's kind of strange, like their own little way of uh, having some compelling uh, story attached to the countdown and no payoff to it. I just really get the sense that um, throughout this kickoff, they're really having a tough time stretching to an hour. <laughs> and I, I could have sworn I've already seen this countdown of the best like the top 10 money in the bank moments. Did we, yeah, they did, just did it on Monday. And and was the order exactly the same? I wasn't paying close attention tonight, uh, but I believe it was the same. It'd be very okay. odd to have two different top 10s of the same category. Uh, but, so I imagine it was the exact same one we saw in Raw. But, you know, these are the circumstances that, that, that they're under right now. Not that much room to be able to create new content and therefore stretch, stretch, stretch. Or do a 30-minute kickoff. I said it. Crazy, crazy thought. I well, know. what exactly is the purpose of the kickoff in your mind? Like, is it there to simply, you know, stream on YouTube, stream on on Twitter, just to as like a net to try to, t- you know, let people. That's what it is. Through? That's yeah. what it is. And I and think the bigger the net, the you know, the longer the net. I think the that's the idea that you're going to. My question would be: What amount of people are finding this kickoff that have not made plans to watch this show? I'm sure there are maybe some, but. What, uh, nonetheless, what's, what's really interesting is like how many people were even aware that this money in the bank pay-per-view was even taking place. That I think is a, is a really interesting question. Um, do you feel like outside of our little bubble, John, that enough people were, were even aware that there was a pay-per-view tonight? I didn't sense that there was a whole lot of interest beyond like wrestling people that are following the shows, which we're seeing our record lows at the moment. And that said, I thought that the main event concept was a real compelling one that if I was not following raw every week and I either had the net, I don't know if I would subscribe to the network to see that match, but if I was kind of a lapsed fan that I still have the network on my bill, I would tune in to see this because it's a weird concept. It's a video game come to life that I think that would at least grab my attention to to watch that. Maybe not the whole show. That was certainly my hook, you know, just to, like not not necessarily even anticipating a good or bad match. It was just to see what this match was going to look like. And coming off the positivity, largely that the WrestleMania matches received. Mm-hmm. Um, so some other things from the kickoff, we had Renee Young, Booker T and JBL um, just going through both Money in the Bank matches uh, featuring JBL working in a reference to Animal Hamaguchi when he was over in Japan and uh, Funaki when he was a young boy. Um Kayla Braxton interviewed the New Day, and then we go to the Performance Center where we had our kickoff match, Jeff Hardy versus Cesaro, of all people. And this was announced along with an R-Truth MVP match on Saturday morning that they released. And this match was actually like a fine match. It was cold. There wasn't really any backstory. I was actually curious if they would make anything 
relating to the bar because of the Seamus program that's going on. But really, that was not mentioned at all here of it was just really Jeff Hardy having his comeback or his first match in his lengthy comeback. And Cesaro was his first obstacle. I believe you had Graves or one of the announcers at one point mentioning how, um, you know, Cesaro used to used to tag with Sheamus and was perhaps here to exact some sort of, I don't know, um, some form of uh, 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 vengeance for his friend, something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this really was just another, you know, Jeff Hardy's first actual match back after a, a brief layoff and wanting to somehow use a really strong opponent in Cesaro, somebody with the loose affiliation at this point to Sheamus to, I guess, get get him there. So the match saw Cesaro work over the ribs uh, of Jeff Hardy. Cesaro even used Mark Henry's old chocolate slide uh, sliding to the floor. And then Irish whipped Hardy into the ring. And that is where he started working on the ribs. He applied an abdominal stretch, uh, opened up his shirt just to slap down on them. And Hardy made his comeback, hit the whisper in the wind. And now Cesaro was favoring his knee. Hardy hit the twist of fate and then was stopped on top, sent to the mat with a gut wrench suplex. Again, working the ribs was Cesaro. And Hardy came back, hit a clothesline off of the barricade on the floor, rolled in Cesaro, and hit the swanton for the win. They went 13 minutes, 32 seconds, and this was our lone match on the kickoff that I thought was fine for a kickoff. I thought it was a perfectly fine match, too. I guess, you know, on the one hand, I completely understand why you'd want a match to go, you know, even 10, 13 minutes. For me, because of the lack of any sort of storyline attached to this particular one, a match with zero build, I I really didn't get a sense that this was there to be much more than something to fill your screen with live action in order to potentially catch somebody's attention to watch this pay-per-view afterwards. For me, it was a match that, because of the empty arena setting, I really didn't have the patience for. Because of the lack of story, I didn't really have the patience for. So it was difficult for me to get into due to the length. Uh, for a cold match, I thought that having Cesaro there uh, worked for me, so I, I enjoyed it for what it was. I, I thought this was one of the better matches that we got on on this show prior to of of matches in the empty arena. So, uh, and then we had uh, Elise Ashton, who is our reporter on the scene at WWE headquarters, previewing tonight's match. The main show began with the fatal four way, and, and this poor woman, like it, it was the first I've seen of her. But every on camera she had at Titan Towers, she had to work. The catchphrase in oh the risk God. is worth the reward. She she seemed like very good, though, in her delivery. This really is your audition. You know, how many times can you say a WWE catchphrase and make it sound natural? Yeah, we, we need to get something that's like extremely wordy now for backlash. Like um, they can start working on one now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had the New Day defending against the Forgotten Sons, John Morrison and the Miz and Grand Metalik and Lince Dorado. Graves. uh remarked that I thought that Juventud Guerrera had joined the Lucha House Party based on what Grand Metalik was uh, with his hair flowing and his red and white outfit. I like the change of the mask showing the hair off. Maybe Juventud could come in and uh, join them on commentary. I don't know. I don't know if they'd want that. Um, John Morrison and the Lucha House Party were the highlights of this match for me. I thought just uh, tremendous stuff between these three. Um, the Forgotten Sons were double teaming Metalik, and then 
we had Dorado hit this springboard somersault into a rolling cover on Morrison for a two count. Uh, the Forgotten Sons hit their uh, jumping stomp finisher onto Big E, but Miz was the legal man. Uh, Morrison hit Starship Pain, but Lucha House Party broke that up. Uh, Metalik hit this top rope Hurricane Rana to Morrison, and then the Lucha House Party is double teaming Big E, and Dorado just hits a top rope splash. Metalik with the diving elbow drop. At this point, Jackson Riker is getting involved, and he gets ejected. And um, uh, one thing we missed was when everyone was on the floor and Morrison and Metalik were on the top and they went to the floor with a one man Spanish fly, but the way it was executed, it was more so like Morrison was directing it and going forward instead of the usual like backflip uh, from the person whose back is to the targets. Um, so that was a little uh, difference in how they executed it, but still looked really cool. I do wonder if that like might have been due to the camera angle, you know, that focused Morrison in, in more of a dominant position. It but- could have been. Yeah, like it was supposed to just be traditional, but it really looked like Morrison was driving the move. And he's been doing like kind of reverse versions of like a bunch of different moves. So it did lead you to think that he was creating something fresh. Yeah. And then the New Day was left with um, the Lucha House Party and it saw Kofi hit Dorado with Trouble in Paradise and Big E pinning Metalik after the big ending. 12 minutes, one second. They retained the tag titles. Uh, But again, I, I thought Morrison and the Lucha House Party, they really stood out in a big way. I agree. I think the those those three in particular have been a, a fantastic injection to the SmackDown tag team division. Um, the mix of talent, I would say, right now in the SmackDown tag team division is really good, and the matches like these allow us to see some pretty interesting combinations. I think the Lucha House Party have been really excellent in these, you know, several outings. They've been giving them a lot of screen time, and they've really like you know taken advantage of that TV time to to really impress, in my opinion. This was a good match. In fact, I, I actually might say this was my match of the night. It retained my attention throughout. It was very good, very snappy blind tags to keep to you know keep up with the very fast, very unpredictable pace. Um, what's missing for me though is story. You know, there are no teams involved here that I really find myself wanting to cheer for. Certainly at this point, not the New Day. Lucha House Party are, are really great, but we don't know a thing about them in terms of a character or personality. Miz and Morrison, to me, are the only fresh personalities in the whole division right now, but they aren't involved in any sort of heated rivalry. And, you know, so I hope that we could see the division take that step forward. Yeah, the forgotten characters are, um, th- there is a big gap there from their call up to, this, this angle where we don't know a thing about these guys. Not yet. Well, they're yet. former Marines. Yeah. Which uh, Marines will take issue with that. You're never a former Marine. You're oh, just a okay. Marine. And Michael Cole definitely called him a former Marine uh, here. Uh, referring to Steve Cutler. Speaking so, of former Marines. Who? Lacey Michael Evans. Cole? Oh, Lacey Evans. Okay. Right. We were going to her promo next. She has memorized the layout of WWE headquarters to capture this briefcase. And there's going to be a woman's right. That's ready for Bailey anytime she wants after she wins this match. And all I can think about recapping this now, I mean, what a lot of work that went into this for Lacey Evans, who I would say of almost anyone of men or women kind of had like the least impact, I would say in this match, like not one that she had the one. She had like the big woman's right uh, that she hit, but it was not involved there near the end and kind of an afterthought uh, from all of this and maybe by design to keep her um, away from the ending there. Could be, could be. I will say I think her studying paid off in that she didn't 
she knew that the briefcase was on the roof and not in the Money in the Bank boardroom, like Dana Brooke. So I how think- how did Dana think? <laughs> We'll get to that. I mean, it's only been the ad that we've heard a million times on every show with the commercial that literally has the overhead shot of where the briefcase is. I mean, evidently, the character is one that doesn't pay attention to the TV. She's one of the reasons they're at record lows. She's no longer watching the weekly television. (laughs) Charlie Caruso interviewed Drew McIntyre, and he wished all of the mothers a happy mother's day which you and i failed to do right off the top that's right happy mother's day to all the mothers out there my mom john's mom john's wife happy mother's day to everybody who's a mother who's listening yes and even if uh 90 of you listening that more applies to your significant other or to your mother uh we know i'm sure there are some mothers that are listening to us right now Mm -hmm. so happy mother's day um he says seth rollins biggest problem is he cannot stop running his mouth totally legit criticism oh yeah oh it's very much based in reality he says he will welcome seth to claymore country and break his jaw uh-huh. i i thought you know charismatic natural delivery from drew i mean on a show where i feel like one of the big problems is everybody trying to go go through scripted promos and having a really tough time making them sound natural drew has been good So we flip over to the Raw team, and it's Tom Phillips, Byron Saxton, and Samoa Joe, who looks to be a semi-permanent fixture on Raw. Uh, No Jerry Lawler tonight. And they promoted next month's pay-per-view, Backlash, on June the 14th, uh, five weeks from now. Hey, watching this show, how much of of a sense did you get that, you know, what was shot live versus what was taped? I mean, all I can say for sure was the the main event being taped. I, I don't know. Like, there's certainly the possibility that maybe some of the matches could have been taped at a at a prior taping. But because watching it, I I did notice that anytime Seth Rollins was on screen, uh, be it you know the backstage promo or his match with Drew, they did flash the live bug in the corner, and I didn't I didn't particularly pay attention to see if it it was up there for anything else. Do you think they're being? Uh... That they're going to that length to signal what's live, what's not live? Or do you think that's just a coincidence? Why even put it up there then? I, I don't know. I, I didn't pay attention to it. But um, yeah, it's possible. Like all of this stuff could easily have been shot at, at different points to you know save time. R-Truth cut a promo coming out asking the audience to make some noise. Because uh, let me explain this. They're in an empty arena. So when he referred to the audience... He was being ironic because there is no audience and therefore they couldn't make any noise. So what a clever way to bring attention to the fact there's nobody there. Um, This was really clever for our first week inside of an empty arena. I mean, you do have to uh, pay attention and call out the elephant in the room. So I thought this was really, really some sharp material. I will say because it's our truth, I think it is something you can buy that the character would do even like this far into the whole experience, you know? So I think they could get away with it for that reason. Killmonger came out and they exchanged words. R-Truth was trying some more comedy, which I thought was very tough. Was this the Killmonger outfit or was it Black Panther? Yeah, I think you're right. It was, yeah. it was like yellow, yellow. It looked awesome on MVP. Yeah, looked really cool. Um, that's what he wore at the Rumble, right? I don't remember. I think that's what he wore when he came out uh, with the Rumble cameo, I think. 
Bobby Lashley comes out and he tells MVP he can take the night off because he's got this. And MVP tells Truth that's what's up. And Truth is trying to talk to Lashley and accidentally slaps him and we get our match. So this was certainly a puzzling addition to the show, made a lot more sense in execution that this was more so to establish a relationship with Bobby Lashley and MVP, which I think everyone is all in favor of. That seemed to be the the link that we were left with. I wasn't exactly sure whether or not this was just like a matter of convenience because, I mean, you know, it could have been anybody Lashley was stepping out here to replace, but you seem to believe that this is an indication of a further relationship. I think so. Uh, the fact that they specifically like this, this match had no reason to be on this show um, other than I think to establish a relationship here. And I, I, I hope that's where they're going with MVP and Lashley. I certainly hope so as well. Um, no Lana here, of course. So we've yet to see how that one. That's, that's where Lana's got to end up eventually with yeah. MVP. With MVP. Yeah. You mean like as co-managers? Leaves Lashley for MVP. Oh, it's it's like that now. Wow. That's where we're going. Okay. Lashley speared him in the corner. Truth missed a scissors kick and got speared a minute 44. All it needed to be. Total squash, you know. Um, I, I did find Truth. <laughs> the material was, was incredibly lame, but like I give him credit for the fact that on a completely cold story, completely cold match, he was able to come out here and like just through his personality and through his charisma, able to at least make something compelling for, you know, three, four minutes. It To me, it was too short to be offensive at all. It added a bit of comedy relief to the show. Yeah, and, and maybe something more significant coming out of it because, you know, they, you know, we'll get to it right now with whatever is going next with Seth Rollins, but to me, they're priming Bobby Lashley to be the next title challenger. Like, they, they need a big heel, and if it's not going to be Seth Rollins continuing in that role... Uh, Bobby Lashley is probably your next candidate. So giving him a mouthpiece for a program with Drew, that makes a whole lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And you've even done that stuff with with Drew and MVP that they kind of uh, introduced a bit of interaction between the two a while back prior to WrestleMania. So that would seem to be where things are leading. Corbin had a tape promo, bragged about ridding the world of Elias and beating up Drew Gulak. Um, Forgot to mention the momentum that he had carrying off of SmackDown with him after climbing that ladder to secure the briefcase, which was about as illogical as Dana Brooke. Well, um, I guess he he did get the momentum did carry him to the end of the match. Nearly got him the match. That's the, true. The briefcase. That is true. It got him. It got him up several rungs. That momentum. Yes. But then it um it was like Cinderella strike uh, the strike of midnight, which thankfully this show did not go until. Uh, so we had Braxton just stirring things up between Bailey and Sasha and Bailey just cutting it off and storming to the ring while Sasha was just left there with, with a look on her face. So we don't know what right. she was thinking. I thought we were going to get a bit more between like Bailey and Sasha, you know, in the in the build up to their particular rivalry here. But it seems to be like this was really all we got. Everything else was pretty smooth sailing for for the team. Yeah, not not too much uh, teasing anything else during the match. They had uh, Tamina um, getting bullied by Bailey at the beginning, where Bailey's like slapping her around and eventually wrapped Tamina's leg around the post. And it was a lot of just character work from Bailey in particular, a little bit with Sasha as well, interacting with the announcers. Uh, we had Bailey grab a bottle of water, and she looked so timid sipping from this bottle of water that has probably been sipped by others. Um, 
did not seem the most uh, cleanly of cleanliest of choices. But then she took the water and just poured it all over Tamina. Tamina fires back. If there's one thing that's going to light someone up, it's it's getting water thrown all over them. And she super kicked her off the apron, tossed her over the announcer's desk. And then as she's attempting the splash, lands on her feet because Bailey gets her feet up, hits the super kick. But Banks crawls in, they lock eyes, and then as Tamina is going for the Samoan drop, Bailey turns it into a crucifix, and somehow this pinfall was kind of credited to Sasha with the assist. Um, just seemed like a smart counter by Bailey, and she wins this in 10 minutes, 29 seconds, and then they attack Tamina afterwards, taking out her knee and kind of presenting Bailey and Banks on the same page. Yes, at least to, to leave this particular uh, uh, match with. I, you know, Bailey kept mentioning that uh, uh, Tamina about something about Tamina going to therapy. Did you catch that? I heard match? that line and I didn't give it a whole lot of thought of um, I, th- I think she maybe meant like physical therapy when she was injured. Oh, OK. And she's going after the knee now. Oh, gotcha. OK, I, th- I thought. But I thought-, I thought the same thing you did. Like, does she have like an anger problem or <laughs> that's she, what I thought of. But going I think a- she meant like physical therapy and now she's trying to take her knee out I, I i wasn't sure yeah i was like oh that's kind of rude making fun of like you know you should be congratulating somebody for for choosing to see a shrink but uh okay um i i, I didn't think this was a very good match i i thought everything was actually quite decent until the finish to me i i, I think bailey has become a pretty good heel i like how she's able to interact with cole at the announce desk she continued to do that here like she did on friday they attempted to tell a bit of a story with Tamina's leg, and I thought Tamina's selling was was all right. I thought it was actually pretty decent all the way up until the finish, which you know was another pretty typically creatively lazy WWE distraction finish um, that we've seen a million times. And I thought there was a rather awkward execution of the crucifix to to close the the match as well. Didn't really help matters. No, and. It's something that I don't think we've appreciated enough in these empty arena settings on on Saturday's UFC card. There were several fighters that were remarking how like they were literally getting advice from mm-hmm. the announcers, like with Daniel Cormier talking like Carlos Sparza spoke about this. And Greg Hardy was like, didn't even dawn on him to check uh, Jorgen DeCastro's leg kicks until he heard Cormier. And we kind of forget of how um intimate it is that they can they can hear the commentators conversely like we're not getting a huge plethora of talent that are like openly calling spots in the ring that we you know in should be like you could hear so much watching these ufc fights and when they're trash talking in the wrestling matches we can hear them that i wonder how big of a you know shift that's been for some that are really cognizant of that fact to avoid calling stuff that would be very very audible on the broadcast like we haven't we haven't seen those examples i feel like they've certainly been probably coached you know at least in the wwe about not being too loud when you're calling your spots and secondly taking advantage of the empty arena setting to to do some trash talking and i think we've seen some instances where it's worked some instances where it's been too much like perhaps this little therapy uh uh dig that bailey had for tamina <laughs> here sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and you see it to a varying effect of uh, you know, effectiveness for, from from the talent. Um, I, I'm, I'm I'm imagining these lines, and we put them into like the UFC fights. Like, uh, we've got <laughs> <laughs> Henry Cejudo. You're gonna go to therapy, Dom. You're gonna go go for some therapy. Oh man. Um, but uh, nonetheless, here. Um, you know, I that's, am that's limitless. That's probably a great reason. <laughs> 
the, the calling the spots, may, maybe that was like the, the genesis of the idea to put John Cena in the Firefly Funhouse this year at WrestleMania instead of a traditional match. Could have been. Yeah, could have been. Um, so where, where do you think we go next now? You've got, you know, the, the money in the bank, not on the SmackDown side. You've kind of got Lacey Evans in the background. Um, there's a, the eventual pulling of the trigger with Sasha Banks. But this is probably, to me, the end of where you go with this Tamina feud. I just I don't know how much. Um, juice is left in this program yeah i don't i didn't see tamina as you know a long-term program at all i think she was just somebody here to 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 get you to the next month and so who really is is next i mean lacy certainly seems like the best candidate um they're certainly going to in my opinion save sasha bailey probably for something like SummerSlam. so how many pay-per-views is that until we get there one, uh, we got backlash i think it's a uh, i think extreme rules is the july one and then SummerSlam. so you got two pay-per-views until SummerSlam. okay so you know a lacey evans feud you could potentially drag out to two to two months uh beyond that you know i mean man you got carmella dana naomi still kind of lingering but we did we we have seen the didn't we see bailey naomi already didn't we even see bailey carmella already before yeah, naomi's naomi's kind of been off uh for for the last while yeah i mean and they could do another like you know multi multi women's match but um two more three more cycles i think they can really you know wait wait to drag this sasha bailey thing out maybe bailey or maybe dana brooke goes around with like the fake briefcase and then she finally cashes it in and wins a replica title from somebody and goes around thinking she's champion and she's just delusional she's like the r-truth of the women's division exactly yes okay uh, from there, we went to Seth. Seth Rollins. He said, Drew McIntyre knows who I am and what I'm capable of. I will unburden Drew McIntyre tonight because this isn't his industry or his company to lead into the future. It is my cross to bear. He needs the Monday Night Messiah to be the champion. See? Did, I, did I nail the tone? Um, I, th- I thought you, I thought you put a bit too much personality into it. I think you have to tone it down. Sorry. <laughs> you did it too well. Um, same promo, same story, same simple, you know, like mission statement we've heard from Seth this entire time. Um, I, I'm really ready to move on. I think the world is really ready to move on from this storyline and this character. And I, I do wonder if after the tonight's match, we, we might see any sort of change. I think they're ready as well. Mm-hmm. Um, then maybe the greatest transition in the in the history of Corey Graves' career. He said, I know all of you have been watching ESPN and this documentary about Michael Jordan. Well, we've got our own Michael Jordan. Tonight, Undertaker, the last ride. I mean, it's pretty clear, isn't it? Like what they're trying to capitalize on. They've been putting a lot of promotional uh, push behind this Taker thing. I, I think the, similar, the similarities in name can't can't be just a coincidence um yeah but it's not one either like on the surface you would look at it it's like oh man they're just like taking it but i mean it's a logical name to have for for this kind of documentary like if you were to tell me three years ago this was the working title i completely believe that um it just so happens that the timing of all this is like one on top of the other but um you know, and both that are, you know, relatively similar amounts of time that they've been in development for. So, yeah. Hey, uh, just a note here. Mega Solid G3K is suggesting that the therapy stuff is is in reference to Tamina's Twitter promos, which they did air 
on um on the kickoff did you happen to catch one of these i didn't really uh catch any sort of um i guess the, i did the, not the therapy stuff is because she did, did it, was it because she has some anger issues maybe something like that so maybe maybe that's what she meant with therapy i completely miss these if they aren't on the kickoff show okay. um braun Strowman and bray wyatt for the universal title um bray's out in in, in the funhouse character and he's just making a bunch of jokes at the beginning Strowman dominates from the beginning until he charges at Bray, who gets out of the way, and Bray uh, allows Braun to crash into the announcer's desk. Huskis then appears from behind the barricade, cheering on Bray as he hits Strowman with a DDT. He follows that with a tornado DDT and a sister Abigail. Braun kicks out at two, and then he goes for another one. Braun stops him with a choke slam, and as Strowman lays him out with a shoulder tackle on the floor, Bray's in the ring and Strowman emerges from under the ring wearing the black sheep's mask. Bray starts laughing because this means Braun has converted back to the Wyatt family. He has come home. He's laughing. They hug. The puppets appear congratulating Bray for uh, bringing Braun back home. But then he takes off the mask. And to convey what this means, he stomps on the mask and he hits a power slam and pins Bray in 10 minutes and 44 seconds. As Braun is leaving, we see shots of Bray with uh, uh, cut-ins of The Fiend appearing. So I think everyone probably could see where this was heading. He beats he beats Bray in a very, very clean, decisive way. But ultimately means nothing because we're just going to shift to the real character of The Fiend that I guess this is going. Yeah, really just, I, I would say, a, a prelude to, I think, the uh, Fiend versus Strowman match. But, you know, this is what we kind of all expected. Um, I guess the question is, though, how... I I was personally curious to see how... Um, how much... How they would get there, and whether or not it would be a straightforward match. And it really was not a straightforward match. We had um, the puppets up here ringside. We had a great deal of, you know, talk about, like dialogue in between the ring like this match they tried to do quite a bit of it here you you know it was it was lines like uh i'm not the same boy i used to be bray um bray it's you it's you do you understand what this means you know like so i mean they were really just carrying on with this kind of comic book type of storytelling which at, at this point we've come to expect from bray wyatt i guess i was I thought it was maybe a bit too much here. It was certainly too melodramatic to me without the benefit of, I think, you know, the pre-produced edited piece to make all that supernatural stuff a bit more palatable. It just came across like, you know, a pretty kind of like a corny stage play. Yeah, um, I, I didn't like. I had no thought on this as soon as this was over. It was just, it was there. I'll say at least it was relatively short from what it could have been. They could have really just dragged us out to fill time. They kept it at under 11 minutes, but nothing special to this. And we're going to continue with the fiend. So this is probably going to go more into uh, kind of the absurd level. And I don't think that's a great, great spot for Braun Strowman, but we'll see. We'll He's see. Certainly be adaptable here. Certainly, like over the past month, the the feud has existed on a very superficial level. They really haven't dug in at all. You didn't really get much of the fun stuff that you would expect with Bray Wyatt and you know, like what we saw with John Cena, for instance. So maybe this month is where you dig a bit deeper and 
and do a bit more kind of weird, wacky shit. The hacker said he is everywhere. He hears everything. No one is safe. And in his master control, uh, we see footage of all these different members of the SmackDown roster that he's monitoring. So he's basically a guy who sits at home and watches every bit of WWE content that's out there. He's watching all the... He watches, he watches SmackDown, it appears. He watches SmackDown. He watches The Bump. He's watching all the YouTube stuff. He's following everybody probably on TikTok and uh, Mixer, all this shit. So he's he's basically just a super fan, this guy. Yeah, he's probably got all the streaming services. Yeah. You know, he goes into his other room. He's got like um, high spots and... He's got like a independent wrestling TV. It's uh, he's probably just got all of this, or he hacks into it. Is that it? Oh yeah, yeah. He's definitely not. He's he's definitely got someone's password. He's torrenting. Yeah, exactly. He's sharing. He's sharing his his uh, subscriptions with his two buddies. Drew McIntyre, Seth Rollins for the WWE title. Rollins comes out to a brand new theme song. That um, sure, I guess. Um, Let's just strip this guy away of, of everything. And what, I, I, mean, um, I was disheartened to hear the theme song because it, t- it told me that they were investing more into this this character. <laughs> yeah, um, man, what what a what a role this guy has uh, fallen from. Um, he comes out and McIntyre is in control of the match early on until Rollins goes after the knee, and he's he's focused on that for a while. We see uh, STF from him and. Then goes to the floor, and this is where Rollins. Th- this is one like minor advantage that some of the, of the heels receive that, in particular, would affect the Rollins. That in a lot of situations, like he has a lot of offense that's that's really crowd pleasing that you would maybe shy away from. That mm-hmm. he can get away with more of in this in this environment. He did this sequence of a flying knee off the apron, then a springboard knee off the barricade, and then a knee off the announcer's desk, and th- they all look great. Um, until he finally gets caught with a belly to belly thrown over the desk, which I hope this announcer's desk gets a pay-per-view payoff because the desk was utilized in almost every match on this show in some form or fashion. I guess in an empty arena setting, you, you, you do have fewer elements. I mean, you can't necessarily, you know, you can't exactly brawl into the crowd. Um, you don't really have the timekeeper's table. It's really just that thing. So I hope they coded that thing with like, with Hunter's special uh, spray. <laughs> McIntyre fought back. He teased the Claymore and Rollins bails to the floor and comes back with a super kick and then a frog splash. Drew kicks out at one from both. I mean, not letting this guy uh, stay down for anything. Rollins teases getting a chair, but he ultimately dismisses the idea and tosses it to the floor. His moment of redemption is, is shining through way. He wouldn't go to that level to use a chair. So he's a baby face. I guess so. He avoided the stomp. Uh, sorry, McIntyre avoided the stomp and nailed him with the Glasgow kiss. Rollins came back, did his superplex into the Falcon arrow, and then puts McIntyre in the tree of woe, allowing McIntyre to do his, his regular spot where he does the big sit-up and suplexes Rollins, who flew off of the top. The Claymore gets stopped with a super kick, hits another stomp, Drew kicks out, and then another stomp is set up. Drew stops it, Glasgow kiss, Rollins hits the super kick, allowing Drew to bounce off the ropes and finally hit the Claymore, and he pins Seth Rollins at 19 minutes, 24 seconds, retaining the WWE title 
Um, I really like this match a lot. This was this was my match of the show. I thought that their chemistry was really strong, and I definitely give them maybe some added points because I thought this was a just very cold program going in. I knew the match could be very good, but given the lack of interest in the story and we're in this empty arena setting, I didn't know how much just on paper having a good match was going to um, enhance this match. But I, I thought these two worked really well together. I thought it was a very good, very athletic pay-per-view quality match um, at a pay-per-view quality length. And I, I can certainly appreciate it. But for me, a match of the, this length and, and, and pace somehow just highlighted the lacking empty arena f- feeling to me. Um, it could also be my lack of interest in the feud itself. But I thought it was, yes, it was a good match these two had. Afterwards, Drew offers his hand to Seth and said, I needed that. And he asks Seth to be a leader and Seth accepts the handshake. And that's how we leave things. Um, Kind of this, this tease of uh, Seth, either this is a swerve or going back into a babyface role, which again, I would, it's a really bad role that Seth is in, but they desperately need heels that I don't know. You know, they're, they're in a tough predicament, I guess, with, with Seth Rollins. I don't know what you do with them next. Like, they need the heels, but this character is not working. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they certainly need heels, but that's no excuse to, you know, maintain a heel that clearly isn't really clicking with, um, I would say, much of the online reaction and, you know, following a title program. Where else do you really take the character anyway? Um, I think at this point, Rollins is going to be more effective as a babyface, you know, just simply as a different character. If you look at the heel side, you've got Lashley, you've got Randy Orton. Um, could, could you see it? To, to me, like all of Zelina's guys are kind of like those to no, me are not middle of the pack. They're, they're all heels. I just I can't I can't really see them in top positions mm-hmm. like opposing Drew. Uh, could you see if Seth is actually turning? Uh, does that necessitate someone like an Owens to potentially turn when he comes back or? I mean, because Seth is a babyface. It's just kind of what role is he in as a babyface? He's not going to be in that top mix with Drew. Um, so maybe, maybe this is just misdirection and he's ultimately going to stay in this role. We'll see. I think there's still a role for Seth, even if it was like, you know, an upper mid card type of role. Um, you know, um, Lashley to me seems to be the next candidate. Uh, Jinder Mahal, of course, is still. Oh, I forgot. I'm so sorry. I, I overlooked Jinder. You did forget Jinder. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, Orton could be elevated up until that spot. Uh, somebody, you know, somebody like a Samoa Joe, even, you know, if he makes the step off of the announce desk, can step right into any babyface or heel role if they wanted him to. And you've got AJ as well. So, I mean, uh, yeah, that AJ is a big one we overlooked. So, mm. I mean, on the heel side, yeah, there's there's all those options. Charlie interviewed R-Truth. He thought he won his match tonight, but said MVP has lost a lot of weight. He doesn't have anyone to celebrate with, and he showed a picture of him holding the 24-7 title, and it's time to get my baby back. And he's going to sack Tom Brady and take his championship back. So he's off to go search for the title. So he he thought he won the match. He thought MVP lost a lot of weight? Yeah. I. What was that I, supposed I don't, to mean? I don't know. Maybe he thought that um, Bobby Lashley probably weighs more than MVP. So. Oh, for sure, he, Lashley does. So I don't know what this meant. Okay. Did he? Did, did I get this wrong? Did I? Did it, no, did you're he right. Mean, I, I wrote the same notes. I, okay. I completely didn't understand, which I I guess was the point. Yeah. 
Well, it's not supposed to make sense. That's the joy of his promos as well. So the money in the bank ladder match has closed the show. So this was the final half hour of the show with Cole and Graves just throwing it off to WWE headquarters. Uh, before we get into the different scenes, uh, we got uh, th- this was this did feature music that I think helped. Yes, we had a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like uh, having both matches at the same time, I think it was the right call to do. I don't know how you could have done these two separate. And I think that I think they gave themselves more options by being able to um, go in between. Sometimes the matches intersected and you kind of just had the two matches going on. Like given the fact this was edited, like it would be hard to make this come off poorly. But I, I guess we've also seen examples of tape matches that um, editing did not save. But this was one where I think that the concept worked. Agreed. Agreed. Seeing it in execution, I think, you know, to have two of these things working their way from one to the other would have wouldn't have necessarily been better. All right. I have no idea how we're going to recap this, but let's give it our best. Alistair Black, AJ Styles, Rey Mysterio, Otis, King Corbin and Daniel Bryan on the men's side. Carmella, Dana Brooke, Lacey Evans, Asuka, Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler representing the women's side. So the men all gathered in the gym and the women were in the lobby, save for Asuka, who was on the next level and delivered a high cross to start this. Yeah, big dive from second floor to the entrance. Um, the men started brawling in the gym that included Baron Corbin taking a pl- uh, taking a plate and throwing it towards Brian and it shattered the mirror meaning that it's going to be seven more years of this character for King Corbin. Oh, God. Oh, no. Uh, the guys went into the washroom, which allowed Brother Love to get a cameo here as he went and uh, did wash his hands. So that's good to know. The cameos here um, were basically all the producers. All the producers. And we also, the the janitor that was mopping the floor was Bruce Pritchard's son. Oh, is that right? Yes. Um, the, so the two matches intersect for the first time on one of the higher floors. This is after Oscar had gotten into an elevator and closed the doors. So the other women had to take the stairs. Um, we had a guy that was dressed up as doink, just randomly show up behind a couch, um, like for no other reason other than a visual. The moment we saw like an intern dressed as doink, the clown was when I realized that um, they probably had a very low stock of people to use, um, to call upon for, for these cameo appearances. I would imagine it was like a very small number that they had working was, on this. It was people and, who were already there, you know? Yeah, the, for, like, I'm sure, I'm sure that's, that was it. Yeah. Uh, Dana Brooke laid out Nia Jax with a chair inside of a boardroom and then unhooked this briefcase that was over top of it, which led to Stephanie McMahon appearing to inform Dana, that's our Money in the Bank conference room, and that is not the real briefcase. Uh, And this was like a see-through briefcase with cash inside of it. So this was a briefcase that, I mean, Stephanie called this the Money in the Bank boardroom, which is what you would believe would would be an an actual boardroom in there with this briefcase as a motif. So a decorative briefcase she took because she's she doesn't watch the show. If I was Dana Brooke, I'd be like, I'm going to take the cash instead of this contract. Mm-hmm. Carmella then moonwalked out of the money in the bank conference room right into a woman's right, which I would say would be the biggest spot that Lacey Evans had in this whole thing. Sure. Kind of. Yeah. 
Um, this is where we got the scene with the custodian who was mopping the floor. This was uh, Bruce's son, and Oscar ran through and was trying to communicate with him. And it ended with the women chasing after her, ending with Dana Brooke, who then slipped on the floor and smashed her head onto the floor. And this, I think, was the end of Dana Brooke. Was that right? Oh. Did she get involved in the food fight? I can't remember if we we saw her she at all. Did. In the, in the food she got she got okay. shoved into the drinks into the uh, okay so, coke machine. Yeah, so she she survived the um the the bump. Styles is meanwhile searching for Ray, and he comes across a picture of the Undertaker, and he's all he's all scared of the photo, and then opens up a room. Uh, which conference room is this? Is this the uh, uh when when they're about to cut people and they bring them into this room? It's got a <laughs> casket. It's all dark. Uh, I, I have no idea. So he then gets laid out by Alistair Black, who then shuts the door, uh, leaving AJ. Most that I'm taking from this is that they're going to do the Styles Taker match. Maybe that is your SummerSlam direction to do the actual match between the two. I think following the success of the of the Mania one, um, you have to maybe have some sort of interaction between these two again. And this at least seemed to hint that you know, the match isn't just a completely forgotten occasion for AJ. There's still some lingering mental, psychological effects. And if there's an early theme we can take from the Undertaker documentary, it's that this guy is like uh, a gambler that once he's up, he's just throwing all the chips in. He's like, OK, I'm coming off this great presentation. Let's let's double down. Let's go do an empty arena match. Me and AJ. And then he's going to be right back to his, uh, damn, I was not happy with that performance. So I guess I got to do another mania. That seems to be the story. There's this giant spread of food and there's Paul Heyman, who I guess in theory was about to have this entire meal to himself. Otis walks in followed by everybody. And it leads to the food fight here, which featured Shayna Baszler putting Rey Mysterio in the Kirafuda clutch. And ended with Nia Jax powerbombing Carmella through a table and then having a stare down with Otis as the two left standing and they go in opposite directions. Food fights are, sure, it's it's fun. It's like, it's fun kid humor, which is what this was for. I'll just say, it was painful for me to see Shayna Baszler and Aleister Black, <laughs> two very serious characters, shoot cutaway reactions to the thought of like reacting to, you know, Paul Heyman getting food thrown into his face. Like the you see the Alistair Black face that like they made him shoot. They, uh, oh, it's ter- it's awful. <laughs> they were they were good sports about this the two of them. Otis goes into the cafeteria featuring the sriracha bottle and John Laurinaitis wheels himself in and takes a pie in the face. Like literally just an idea of like <laughs> Let's who's let's who's make fun of John Laurinaitis or like who's famous, you know, who like who's who's around, who's been yes. on TV before. Brian and AJ brawl into Vince McMahon's office where we've got the uh, the 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 uh, the dinosaur uh, bones on the on the wall. And there's Vince himself who kicks them out, just like scolding his two children that have acted out of line. They leave. And then Vince Purell's his hands. Nice. Taking this seriously. Very, very sanitary. Yes. Jackson Oscar are the first ones to make it to the roof. And what a spectacle this was. Like they, they went all out in setting up this thing on the roof. 
lots of uh drone shots you know like we've seen in all the trailers um yeah they they built a whole set up there Jax and Asuka are fighting with uh, Evans did make her way out, out here um, mm-hmm. and they're fighting here for a while. Asuka is then climbing and King Corbin runs in and is knocked down by Asuka, who then grabs the briefcase. This was at the twenty one forty nine uh, part of the match. So Asuka's got the briefcase. The women's match has concluded. Otis then enters the ring. And again, we do the gag from SmackDown where the rungs are breaking. Corbin, Mysterio, and Black make their way, and eventually AJ does as well. Corbin has Ray by the edge of the roof and just casually throws this man into oblivion. We heard like a splash. So I guess we're to believe that he could be dead, but he may have hit something that saved him on the way down. I think he's going to pull out. But then Alistair got thrown as well. We got the first ever shoot fade to black. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, but like in the in the wide shot, you could see that they're the, the where Corbin was. I mean, he threw him to the lower level of the roof. So I don't think well, we ever came back from this. I don't think we actually witnessed murder, but they're going to try to sell it like it's oh, he threw me off the roof. Well, all I can say is that this this better be in the next two K game. Throwing somebody off the roof. It's, this entire match concept. Oh, yeah, sure. Corbin and Styles are up the ladder fighting for the briefcase when Elias appears, nailing Corbin with the guitar. Styles grabs the briefcase, but it falls and Otis is on the floor and he catches it. He yells, yo, Mandy, I did it. And after 27 minutes, Otis is the winner along with Oscar. 27 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a surprising length, you know, considering you had two matches that typically probably would have taken half an hour each. So to condense both of them into 27 minutes, um, suggest so that, you know, they just decided to not prolong it and just, you know, let this thing go as much as it needed to go. And I'll say for me, it, this match never dragged. You know, it was nope. consistently entertaining, I would say, throughout. Your level of entertainment, I think, will depend on how open you are to, like, essentially watching a kid's TV show, which is, I think, you know, the level of humor that we're dealing with here. And and to me, that's not even necessarily a knock. It's like there's there are uh, you can respect somebody for like how good they can do children's TV. And I'm not a child, so I can't really comment on, you know, how effective something like the food fight was for me. Um, it wasn't what it wasn't meant for me. But um Throughout, I, I can certainly tell, like, there were many handicaps. Like, if they if this was done otherwise, like, in a different t- climate, they probably would have flown different people in to fit into all the different rooms for maybe, you know, more rewarding cameos rather than just the people that happen to be there producing the show. Um, considering the circumstances, I thought it was decently entertaining. I wouldn't put it up there personally with, like, the Boneyard or Firefly, Firefly Funhouse match, but it was certainly better than Edge versus Orton. I thought it was even better than um, Gargano Ciampa. I thought this was a lot of fun. I didn't think it dragged at all. I thought that it was really well put together, well edited. Um, And I think that it's also a concept, like even when things get back to normal, I could certainly see them doing this again. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what their mentality is towards stuff like this under normal circumstances. And if they feel, was this done out of necessity or is there 
enough of a value among our audience that will accept these things, which they are at the moment. So I, I thought this turned out really well. I'm I'm not judging this like a regular wrestling match, but for a fun 27 minute like obstacle course, like I, I got into this. I had fun watching it. And and you did have some stakes attached to it with the briefcases as well. And in theory, some stories coming out of it as well. So I, I thought this was you know, I thought you had to end the show with this. That was the right placement to to end this all together. And I, I thought it turned out well, and it left this show to me on a positive note. Like I would go, I would probably lean like thumbs in the middle on this show overall. It's like this was not some blow away show, but I, I left the show on a real high by the end of it. That it was like uh, I enjoyed that Rollins Drew match, and I thought this was a real fun way to end it. And I think that's a big, if you end things on a high note, I think people will be much more um, receptive to the show as a whole in terms of their overall assessment. So uh, if you're hearing this, uh, I I don't know if this is coming through, but like John's audio has, it's been breaking up a little bit. We are hearing you, but it's just like the quality is a little bit shoddy. So apologies everybody for that. Hopefully we uh, don't have any more issues uh, in the meantime, but we are going to open up the phone lines right now. Uh, I apologize. I got the feedback thread up there late. So while we take some phone calls, maybe that's uh, we'll let the feedback come in uh, at that point as well. So Skype in by searching for post wrestling and we can open up the phone lines. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, out of 10, John, what would you give this show? I go, I, I go a good seven on this show. Yeah. Seven. I, I go five and a half. I thought it was fine. I thought it was perfectly serviceable, but it's it's hard for me to necessarily look at this as a good show. I thought it was a good show under the circumstances, perhaps, but um, I thought the matches were okay, just kind of there, and I thought the concept of the Money in the Bank ladder match was a good stopgap, you know, considering that they couldn't do a proper one. Um, it It was fine. It was fine to me. I I put a lot of this on the... Um... The, the final match, the Drew Rollins match, uh, but most of all, ending this show at nine twenty-five. That that is my that is my biggest positive of of this show. So a lot of it was that last hour. So, absolutely. Do we have any uh, calls ready? Uh, actually, not just yet. So do call in everybody. Search us at Post Wrestling, and uh, while we wait for some feedback, John. Oh, here we go. We got our first caller on the line right now. As we wait right here. I believe we are looking to connect to Richard. Richard, are you on the line? Hey, guys. How's it going? Doing very well, Richard. What would you think of Money in the Bank? It was an okay show for what it was. I'd probably give it about a good six and a half. The two standouts being the Drew-Seth uh, match and the uh, Money in the Bank uh, edited thing. Um one bit from the Money in the Bank editing you guys or match you kind of missed was uh, the bit where poor Ray got squished between Nia and Otis. That looked horrible to watch. <laughs> yes, they did do that. Yes. Any other highlights? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Not too much. It. You know, the show was what what it was, and like I said, the Drew Seth match was entertaining enough in the empty arena setting. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see where they go with Backlash for the next five weeks. Uh, I really don't see Seth becoming a face anytime soon. Um, maybe me do something turning more towards SummerSlam. 
Uh, I like the idea that they put AJ and the Undertaker again, maybe for SummerSlam, but do you really have to have them in an empty arena match? That would really, really take away from that whole Boneyard match idea myself. Yeah, I'm hoping they don't do that personally. I think that would, um, at least not just yet, you know, um, I hope they, if they do have something planned, um, it's, it's a bit further down the line. If it's a regular match, um, I think people would be a little bit disappointed. I, I totally agree with that. Oh, by the way, John and Wei, uh, I got your T-shirt from the uh, post site, the I Wasn't There shirt that came the other day. So props to that. Thanks, guys. Thank you so Thank much, you. Richard. Appreciate the call. No problem. Take care. Night. Let's go to some feedback here from the forum. We go to Robbie in New Zealand who says... Okay, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, he wrote a lot here, but he says, uh, I missed most of the opening match, and I'm disappointed that the Lucha House Party, especially Grand Metal Leak, aren't getting the recognition they deserve. But I do stand by that the New Day is the best male tag team in WWE. MVP is a good mouthpiece for Lashley, though I am painfully aware of why they may be paired. Tamina versus Bailey was good, but I feel bad Tamina has no sympathy. She's likable, but you'd never know that in WWE. I like the story between Bray Wyatt and Strowman and Reigns. Bray Wyatt and Strowman, I think he means. But wearing the black sheep mask would be good. It would be a good smart way to beat the Fiend. This makes me think Bray will win the title back. Did I miss two matches? Well, probably nothing. Okay. He says Asuka is the best and should be treated as so. She deserves to win and I hope she finally wins the Raw title. It's actually hilarious seeing the WWE slow crawl to the, to the elevator. I guess the first elevators don't go straight to the roof, which is an architectural design flaw. He says, I'm happy Otis won, but that was a weak finish for the men's match. I give the money in the bank a 6 out of 10. Let's continue there then with uh, Malachi. I didn't get to see much before the actual money in the bank match. Um, Black and Mysterio's death would have been a bit more believable if they didn't show the aerial footage of the rooftop beforehand. With all the cameos, where was the boogeyman? Finally, we can all agree that the short time frame is a total win. Uh, that was a, a great part of tonight's show. And yes, I think Alistair Black and Ray, I think they're going to make it. That's my that's my prediction. I think so as well. I think we have another person on the line right now. Just going to wait for this person to load up and hopefully we can get him on the line. Let me just see here. Caller, are you there? Here we go. One more time. Caller, can you hear us? Okay. I'm just going to go to Nick from Lansing right now. I thought it was an overall fun show with good matches, even if there weren't a ton of surprises. I think Otis winning Money in the Bank will be the most talked about controversial part of the night, but I fully support it. He deserves all the best things, and I think he's the guy to get us through these dark times. Also, Asuka starting the match by leaping onto everybody was fantastic. R.I.P. Ray, see you in three weeks. <laughs> um, next up, we have Cam. My biggest question of the night, when Corbin was on the ladder with Asuka, why did they start f- fighting? He could have just grabbed his briefcase and celebrated too. Loved the hilarity of the ladder match, but that murdered me and rivaled some of the obvious retakes and Stephanie's rehearsed scene. Seven out of ten match, four out of ten show. All right. So... There you go. He gives it a 5.5 based on his average of the match versus the show. We got a JDS from RLS or JD from RLS who says, I honestly think I'm going to miss these cinematic matches when they're gone. 
The Money in the Bank match was hilarious in a good way, and it felt like all involved were enjoying their work. Maybe this is true sports entertainment. The rest was honestly pretty good. The upside of these shows is character work comes across a lot more, and I think McIntyre, Rollins, and Bailey Tamina both impressed. Kenny here. I canceled the network last week, but decided to check out Money in the Bank before my subscription ran out, and I'm so glad that I did. If the point of wrestling is to put on an entertaining show, they did it. Even before the Money in the Bank match, I thought the show way overachieved. Can't complain too much about any of the winners, and the three-hour length was perfect. I liked the four-way and thought both of the title matches delivered in different ways. Do I wish Paul Heyman, Johnny Ace, and the other senior citizens on the show had stayed home in quarantine? I don't think either of those are... I don't think either man is uh, Paul Heyman is not a senior citizen, nor is Johnny Ace. But I think his point is they are older. Uh, they weren't anyway. flown in specifically to be a part of the match. I mean, they these guys are no. are, are, are are there to produce the show anyway. They were there for the Boneyard match and the Firefly or whatever. Like some of those. Yeah, um, they're there pretty much every single week for Raw and SmackDown either way. So there's that. Uh, and is that it for now? I believe so. So, OK. Yeah, apologies, everybody. We didn't get the feedback thread up in time, so couldn't really get to too much feedback, but glad you guys found the other thread. And um, don't know what's going on with the phone lines. We might be having some issues. I know uh, one caller's been trying to call in, but for some reason, it's not allowing me to patch you in. So this kind of might be it, John, for the show. Well, before we go, uh, did you did you see anything uh, at UFC last night? Did uh, did any of that kind of uh, reach on your on your radar? Or no, I only listened to your show with Phil. Uh, I did not watch the show, and I don't intend to. Well, uh, there we go. It was an interesting show to watch, just in terms of like the aesthetics and and how the show was run uh, in comparison to the wrestling shows that that we have seen. But uh, that show is up if you want to go check out our full review of UFC 249 from Saturday night as well. We have a new edition of Total Recall. Yes, we do. Yes, Total Recall is out. Uh, talking about two very electric editions of Total Bells over the past two weeks, featuring a couple really... I mean, you if you thought Daniel Bryan had a big match tonight at Money in the Bank and the Titan oh. Towers, wait till you see the match he has with Brie Bella arguing about their relationship inside of a car with GoPros everywhere. It was insane. So uh, Pauline and I talk about that one. Um, and yeah, before we get out, I'm going to try the phone lines one more time. Hopefully this person can get through cause would really love to hear from this particular gentleman. Chris Thunder from down under. Are you there? Good day, lads. How are you? Glad you could make it. What's on your mind? Um, just the empty arena stuff. I haven't been watching a lot of WWE or AEW as of recently, but I decided to tune in and watch the main event tonight. And what do you think? Um, yeah, overall entertaining, pretty fun just to take your minds off uh, things going on in the world right now. But um, I find um, Otis winning a bit puzzling and um, considering the other men in that match. I think that's part of the idea is to, you know, have somebody who nobody expected to win. Um, I don't. I don't really hate it, you know, like Otis is certainly somebody that we know, um, I'm sure they love, I'm sure Vince McMahon loves, um, him being a candidate to take towards that, that next level as a single star is not somebody I would have expected right away, but I, I, I also feel like there's potential. It, it certainly like gets Mandy Rose up into that higher level as well. 
They're also desperate right now for, for different story ideas. Like, who who is to say he ends up with the briefcase, that they could switch it? I mean, you have the Dolph feud, which they could feud over the briefcase. You could do any number of things where different people end up with the briefcases at the end either. So, I mean, they, they need to prolong a lot of this. It's not like just, okay, this person has the briefcase, and it's going to be an idle storyline until we cash it in in three or four months um they probably want to make that like an active part of the shows coming out of this because they they need those those ideas and now you've essentially got two other belts introduced uh in the form of briefcases that you can play with yeah and the second part of me question is do you think with the empty arenas i'll hold off on cashing one in quickly like i have the past few years or will they attempt to cash one in quickly to uh peak ratings I think it'll really depend on whether they have like a really solid idea. I think you're really handicapped by just saying, well, we'll just wait till crowds come back. I mean, that's you're pretty much putting it on hold then indefinitely. That could be next year. So I, I don't know if we're running these shows. Do we hold off on stuff till crowds come back or do we just go with our story ideas, even though they're not going to be met with the same kind of reaction because there's no fan. So I I would say they're just going to go ahead as, they would based on the story. It's just, you just can't plan that way to, to wait for crowds to come back because there's just no timeline for it. Yeah. Uh, thanks very much for all the work you do guys. I'll uh, thank let you, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Chris. Hansi, you're on the line. Please What's understand. up guys. How hey, are Hansi. you? What's going on? Glad What's you could make it through. Yeah, no, for sure, man. Uh, by the way, great work for the website this week, man. I, I enjoy it. I, I don't watch UFC, but I enjoyed the commentary over like what was like, you know, I like of what was happening this weekend because it was kind of interesting to see how they would handle it. But as far as Money in the Bank goes, I enjoyed the show. I thought maybe the Money in the Bank, I thought maybe some of the stuff in the main event was kind of a little too goofy. I, I, I understand what they're trying to do, but just I just think some of the stuff was kind of, like, I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but do you guys think that Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles were, like, the right choices to be the guy that kind of cowered to McMahon? Like, I understand different talent kind of being on that level, but I honestly think that Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles work, I think they're a level above that, where they don't need to, like, kind of have that, oh, sorry, Mr. McMahon, I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting you, whatever, and all that. I didn't really like that, but as far as the winner goes, I don't see Otis hanging on to this briefcase. I think maybe because WWE, uh, they're in a, pand- this is a p- pandemic era, whatever, right? So I personally think that in this one, I don't think Otis is ready. And if if I if he is, I'm completely wrong, and I'll take my words back on the show. But I personally think that he'll probably end up losing it to Dolph Ziggler or maybe Tucker uh, Tucker Knight will maybe get jealous that he's like you know not caring for the team anymore. You know what I mean? That's basically my thoughts. But I I'm I'm glad that Oscar won. But and before I go. Uh, do you guys have any update on the Alberto Del Rio situation? Because th- th- that news broke up. I saw people bad-mouthing him. I'm like, what did Alberto Del Rio do this time? Like, holy crap, this guy fucking did some horrible shit. So um, I'll leave you guys with that. But again, great work as always. Thanks, Hansi. Yeah, I mean, on the Alberto situation, like nothing beyond what I wrote on the site. He was he was arrested and he is is charged with allegedly committing a sexual assault. It was, uh, this occurred recently. The arrest was on Saturday. Um, there was a woman that came forward with, um, 
apparently with photographs and alleged that he had attacked her and sexually assaulted her. And the woman also provided an affidavit with the details and it included threatening the woman's son. And he was uh, arrested on Saturday around 11 a.m. And he's facing a sexual assault charge, which is a second degree felony. And his bond was set at $50,000. So, I mean, that's he's facing that charge. So that's that's all that we have, really. This just broke um, just before the the show tonight. So don't really have any information beyond that. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you get it, I'm sure we'll hear it from you, John. Um, You know, uh, Hounsie also brought up whether or not AJ and Daniel Bryan should have been the ones to to have that spot. I mean, I certainly would have preferred those two than Aleister Black. Um, You know, could it have been Ray? I guess so. Could it have been Otis? Yeah, it could have. Uh, could it have been Mirren Corbin? Yeah, but it I, I don't think it makes any difference if it was any of those other guys. I don't know if it's just this match or just um, I'm just watching it in a totally different light where I, I think you, you have to sort of be in a certain mindset anyway that this is just this is designed for like laugh spots like that's essentially what this match is built. It's it's the hunt for these briefcases, but mixing in a lot of comedic moments in this and. I don't know. I, ju- I just don't have the same kind of, um, you know, resistance to just coming up with some f- fun spots that y- you're watching this match in a totally different light than in a typical wrestling scenario. And I think that's what you're going for. Just co- coming up with a, like some natural comedic moments. And I guess there are probably hits and misses in this match. But to me, I, I didn't really have all that big of an issue with it. Right. And I think that's it for today everybody so thank you all for those who left feedback those who joined the chat room and those who were able to make it through the phone lines so uh man look at it it's only 11 p.m John. this is crazy oh, this man. is nuts i don't know what i'm gonna do with the rest of my night um but i know what i'm gonna be doing with my monday night that will be watching raw and then reconnecting with you way so we will be back on monday night to chat about raw uh, fallout from money in the bank and uh, we'll get to chat about uh, chapter one of the undertaker last ride documentary um that most of you have probably seen by the time you're listening to this so we'll chat about all of that on monday night and we'll have the full schedule for the week ahead uh dropping on the site on monday so look forward to plenty of that and go check out some of our shows from this weekend total recall the ufc 249 post show and uh we also had rewind to smackdown from friday night going through the herb abrams dark side of the ring so some shows that you can check out and that's it Thanks to everyone for tuning in live tonight or later after the fact. We appreciate all of you for tuning in. And that's it. Good night.